0: and I'm going to be speaking to you about the psalm that we'll hear in a few moments. Um, uh, But before we have our reading, I just wanted to say a little bit by way of introduction. Uh, We started last week a short series on the psalms, and as soon as Jonathan asked me if I would like to speak about one of the psalms, I knew that I would like to choose Psalm 84, which we're going to hear soon. When Graham and I got married in 1984... The preacher was a really good friend of ours, and he preached at lots of weddings, and whenever he did, his practice was to pray about the couple and to ask God to give him a Bible passage for them. Psalm 84 was the one he was given for us, and so of course it's one I've returned to many times over the years. Um, But this isn't just about me having uh, reliving happy memories. I also think this psalm has some really good messages that are helpful to all of us, uh, and that's why I was keen to share it today. If you're following the psalm in one of our Bibles, you'll see that at the top, uh, it's one of the psalms of the sons of Korah. And I thought it might be helpful to explain who the sons of Korah were, as it's quite relevant, I think, to the content of the psalm. So back uh, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, Korah and two other men led a revolt against Moses and Aaron. They roused uh, a force of about 250 men to overthrow the leadership, but there was a dramatic turn of events as they were all gathering outside their tents ready to uh, sort of go into battle. The ground swallowed up, uh, opened up and swallowed them. Uh, so they, were, they all died. However, Korah's sons were spared. Perhaps they were too young to have been involved. Uh, but not only that, they were shown real compassion and mercy because that family became the servants in the sanctuary. Uh, and so the psalm talks about the privilege of being doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. And I think it's interesting to know that they were speaking from personal experience. They were quite literally doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. And then later, during the time of King David, they became the leaders of all the choral and orchestral music in the temple. Uh, So they were the worship leaders of their day, really. And there are 11 psalms that are attributed to them, and all of them have this huge sense of gratitude and humility. And Psalm 84 is also one of the psalms that would have been sung by people on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, often uh, going there from very far away to worship there. And often they would have very difficult journeys to get there, traveling through wilderness regions, including the Valley of Baca. Listen out for that because it's mentioned in the psalm. So as the passage is read, you will hear something of their intense desire to get to Jerusalem. So Colm is going to come and read our psalm now.
1: Psalm 84, for the director of music. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than dwell in the tents of the wicked for the lord god is a sun and a shield the lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless lord almighty blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful psalm. And we pray that as we uh, reflect on this together now, you will be speaking to each one of us in different ways. In Jesus' name, Amen. In all the coverage of the recent death of the Queen and then her funeral, there were lots of personal recollections from people who'd met the Queen, uh, sometimes on big formal occasions and sometimes quite informally. And whether they were formal or informal, almost invariably people obviously felt a huge sense of privilege in being able to be in the Queen's presence, even for quite a short time. During the uh, Silver Jubilee celebrations in 1977, some of you may be old enough to remember that, I was a teenager and I was actually invited to one of a series of garden parties which the Queen held around the country that year. I was invited because I was going to be part of a guard of honour. Uh, So as her car entered the park where it was held, uh, she would go past lots of people providing a guard of honour. And I was invited to represent the the ranger guide group that I was a part of. And even though I'm sure the Queen only ever caught a fleeting glimpse of me, I had a brand new uniform skirt, I had new shoes, and my hair was brushed until it gleamed. I was really conscious of what an honor it was to be in the presence of such an important person. And in Psalm 84, we hear of the privilege of being in the presence of God. The first few verses express that beautifully. They use that sort of intense language, which is more common in love poetry. And we hear the real longing of pilgrims to get there and to be in God's presence my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's expressing a, almost a, a physical need for God as well as a spiritual one. Now, I believe that each one of us has a longing to be in God's presence. We may not recognize it as that, but I, it's built into our design. We were made to be with God. And I'm not alone in thinking that. Uh, The philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. A God-shaped hole in the heart of each one of us. And C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I'll read that again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I think that unrecognized desire lies behind all sorts of disordered desires which get us into trouble. Perhaps we buy too much, or we eat or we drink too much, or we work too hard to try to satisfy something in us that can't actually be satisfied by anything in the material world. The pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem would have resonated with those words. They had perhaps been planning their their trip for years, longing to be in the temple, which for them was their way of being in the presence of the living God, that personal living presence. But of course, Jesus opened the way for all of us to be in God's presence without any need of temples or churches. We can come into the presence of the King of Kings wherever we are at whatever time of day what a privilege that is and how easily we can take it for granted. It's so easy, isn't it, to make excuses for not spending time in God's presence. We're tired, we're busy, we're distracted, perhaps because we're putting our energies into trying to fill that God-shaped hole in us in all the wrong ways. I was quite challenged this week by how much time I put into satisfying my physical needs compared to how much time I spend satisfying my deepest spiritual needs to be in God's presence. Whether it's doing my online shop, making meals, popping into the shops for things I've run out of, doing some baking, making soup for the freezer, quite a lot of time goes into making sure that we've got enough to eat. And I justify that as being a necessity. We don't want to run out of food. We need food to fuel us. But I wonder do I have the same attitude to spending time with God each day? Do I see it as essential and life giving? Or as something that maybe I can cut short if I'm a bit busy? I love the picture in verse 3 of the psalm of birds finding a nest near the altar. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty. It's a lovely picture of just sort of settling into God's presence, feeling really at home there, even creation finding rest in the sanctuary. You saw a picture a bit earlier of uh, Graham and I on our wedding day, and after we got married, we moved into our first home together. And after years of living in shared flats, bedsits, college rooms, it was lovely to be able to start to build a home together, a place where we hoped we'd bring up children, a place uh, where we wanted to establish our lives together. And there was that indefinable sense of it being home. And I hope that most of us recognize that feeling, maybe after a hard day at work or after a long journey, just arriving in the place where you live and almost immediately feeling more relaxed because you're home. And I think that's how God wants us to feel in his presence, that sense of arriving where we belong, the place where we can be most ourselves. Later in the psalm, we read, "'Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere.'" A day, just a day being close to God is better than years of doing anything else. And we're also told that he will withhold no good thing from us. There's a sense of God's abundance of provision for us. And later, of course, Jesus showed just how great the scope of that provision was. God didn't withhold even his son from us. As we read in Romans, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The ultimate gift from God, of course, is Jesus. And being in God's presence, being, sharing in his kingdom life is something that is priceless. We read in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and bought it. I enjoy watching Grand Designs on the television where you see people building their, uh, their dream homes. And quite often, people end up going into massive amounts of debt and they live with years of stress and hard work in order to realize their dreams. But God actually offers us something even better than that. Now, I said earlier that we no longer have to go to a particular place to be in God's presence. Jesus' death and resurrection mean that we have access to our Father God wherever we are, on our own or with others. But I think there's something particularly special about joining with others and being in big God's presence. And I found myself more appreciative of that this year as we've emerged gradually from lockdowns and social distancing as more and more of us have come back into the church building it's so good to worship together to come into God's presence along with my church family and throughout the Bible we're encouraged to meet together to be in God's presence Psalm 100 says enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise And in Psalm 22, we read, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Or I love the way that some of the older versions of the Bible put it in a bit more poetic language. You dwell in the praises of your people. God dwells in our praises. I love that image. So it's important that we're coming into God's presence in worshipping together as well as on our own more intimately. Now I appreciate that some people still have to be cautious about meeting in larger groups of people and I hope that for them our online services helps you to feel able to worship with others even at a distance. But I also recognise the pain of that and my heart really does go out to people who are still Not able to feel comfortable in these groups. So we need to make being in God's presence a priority in our lives. They will be so much richer as a result. But we also have an important role in inviting other people into God's presence. I mentioned that the sons of Korah who wrote the psalm were quite literally the doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. And they saw that as a great privilege that comes across in the psalm. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Perhaps they were remembering those tents of their rebellious ancestor. And I think we all have a role as doorkeepers in the house of our God. But actually doorkeepers can act in very different ways. There's a kind of doorkeeper who acts like the steward's who welcome us at the door as we come into church each Sunday, uh, making us welcome, perhaps showing us where to go. Or there's the kind of doorkeeper who acts like a bouncer on the door of a nightclub, keeping people out, only giving access to the privileged few. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of us would be there at the door checking people to see if they're uh, suitable to come in. But I wonder, do we actively welcome people in? Now, our stewards are really good at that, but we all have a role to play in making people welcome. Do we take the trouble to say hello to the new people, which I know can feel a bit scary for some of us, or do we stick to the people we know? Uh, when children find it difficult to settle, to be sit still or be quiet, do we give their, their parents a sort of sympathetic smile of encouragement Or do we give them a disapproving look? And what about our friends and families? Do we ever invite them to church with us? Or talk to them about Jesus? Or do we assume that they wouldn't want to know? Many years ago, um, Graham and I were in Canada for a few weeks. Graham was working out there uh, for three months and I went out in my uh, summer holiday for three weeks. And uh, in the middle two Sundays of those three weeks, we went to two different churches. Uh, The first week, um, nobody spoke to us as we went in. Nobody turned and talked to us in the pews. Everybody was very formal. And then on the way out, somebody did approach us. The only thing anybody said to us in that church was, have you joined our planned giving scheme? (laughs) We didn't go back there the next week for some reason. We tried a different church. And that one was really different. We felt really welcomed at the door. Somebody took us and showed us where we could sit. While we were sitting waiting for the service, somebody else turned around and talked to us and asked us about what, who we were and what we were doing there. Afterwards, we weren't just sort of told that coffee's over there. Somebody said, come with me, I'll show you where to get coffee. And as we were having the coffee, they were, they were going off and bringing people, oh, th- you, you'd want to talk to this person who's an engineer, because Graham was an engineer, or you might want to talk to this person who's a teacher, because I was a teacher. It was such a different experience, and we all have a part to play in helping people feel welcome in our church. So as the sons of Korah knew, it's a great privilege to be a doorkeeper in God's house. Part of their role would have been to welcome the pilgrims coming to the temple after that long and arduous journey. And our role as doorkeepers is to make our church a space where people feel welcome, where they can come and find sanctuary, perhaps after a long and difficult journey through their week, a place that provides hope, comfort, and renewal. And incidentally, if you'd like to be more involved in welcoming people, I'm sure that John would love to to talk to you about becoming part of our welcome stewarding team. So being in God's presence is an amazing privilege, which we can access anywhere and at any time. And it's one that we should actively seek to share with others. But it's not something we should take for granted It's something that we should actively pursue in our lives. Psalm 84 uses the imagery of being on a long and arduous journey, something which would have resonated with those pilgrims who sang this psalm on their way to Jerusalem. We read, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. These were people who were prepared to give up weeks or months of their lives to pass through danger and hardship in order to be in God's presence. A few years ago, Graham and I walked Hadrian's Wall from the west coast to the east coast, It's a distance of about 80 miles, and it took us about a week or so to do it. Now, the start and the end are fairly flat, but the middle sections are very hilly, and I remember we seemed to be endlessly getting to the top of a hill, only to see another one half a mile ahead. Uh, We really enjoyed the walk, but it was quite hard work and that was you know with proper walking shoes and rainproofs as well as well maintained paths and comfortable beds to sleep in and good food to eat each night i can only imagine how hard it was for those pilgrims to keep going day after day over rough ground and wilderness with the threat of bad weather or even bandits on the road ever present and probably just sleeping wherever they could find a sheltered space and eating very meager rations. When we got tired on our walk, we kept ourselves going by imagining the sense of achievement we'd feel when we got to the end. And those pilgrims kept going because they knew it would all be worth it to be in God's presence. So being in God's presence is something that's worth pursuing. I think we're a slide behind, John. That's it. As I read about the Valley of Bacca that they travelled through this week, it struck me that in some ways, uh, we've all been through a kind of Valley of Bacca in the last few years. It's been a hard time. For some of us, much harder than others, of course. And understandably, many of us feel exhausted by the journey we've been on. Life is like that. There are good times when our journey through life takes us through pleasant places and the ground is flat and good. And there are times that we seem to be walking through wilderness and rocky ground. And each step takes a huge effort. Times when it's really hard to keep going. Perhaps for some of you, you still feel that you're in that valley of Baca. And if you are, I just want to encourage you to keep going. Get people to pray for you. Come for prayer ministry after one of our services or perhaps make an appointment at the well. You can't do it in your own strength. You need God's strength to help you. As the psalm said, blessed are those whose strength is in you. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain covers it with pools. Or perhaps you feel that you've got out of the valley, but you're exhausted from the journey. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to take some time to rest and spend time with the Lord, being in God's presence, allowing him to bring healing and refreshment. And again, that's something that praying with others can help with. After a long journey, we do need time to rest and recuperate. And I know the world do quiet days and times to rest and receive, both online and in person. And you may find those are helpful in recovery. God cares about our weariness. As we read in Isaiah, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Great promise to hold on to when we're feeling exhausted. And make sure too that you're looking after yourself physically as well as spiritually. Eating well, getting the rest you need, taking some exercise. But the most important thing is just spending time in God's presence, allowing him to do his work of restoration. But something else struck me. As I reflected on the pilgrim's journey through the valley of Bacca, I'm sure that when they got to the end of a particularly difficult part of that journey, they may have stopped for a while to rest and refresh. Getting out of the valley was an important achievement. It took them one step nearer to their goal of being in God's presence in the temple. But it wasn't the end of the journey. It wasn't what they'd set out to do. At some point, we need to resume the journey. We can't stay on the edge of the valley. The time it takes to recover will be different for all of us. But we need to make sure that we don't become too comfortable just staying still. The Lord still has things for us to do. In the time before Israel reached the promised land as they were in the wilderness, they were following visible symbols of the Lord's presence. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God, I think, still wants to lead us by his presence. Being in his presence is that pearl of great price that it's worth making the most important thing in our lives. But we also need to be following where his presence leads us. We need to be open to being challenged about new ways in which he wants us to serve him. It's always more comfortable to stay where we are, but sometimes by staying where we are, we miss out on those great things that God has in store for us if we choose to follow where he's leading. Let's just pray uh, as the band come back for our final song. Father God, thank you for the huge privilege of being able to come into your presence wherever we are. We pray that you would help each one of us to make that a priority in our lives. Father, I pray for those who are feeling that they're still in that valley. For those who are finding each step is an effort, and I pray that they will find in your presence the strength they need to carry on. I pray for those who feel exhausted from the journey. I pray again that they will find that in your presence there is rest and refreshment. And I pray for those of us who you want to challenge to carry on on the journey who you want to say perhaps that we've become a bit too comfortable where we are. Pray that you will continue to prod us and give us the will and the strength and the hope to keep following you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm really glad that our final